wanna ride on my motorcycle. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode 108. Coming to you from Moto One Podcast Studios North once again. I'm your host, Moto G Pete. With me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. No guest today. Just the two of us here chit-chatting it up. Let's see here. Table of contents. Well, actually, I'm going to say today not so much, but for the majority of this last week, we had more of our 300 days of sunshine that we get every year here in northern Colorado. And I've still been riding the hell out of that Goldwing. In fact, today we set the suspension Yes, as in we didn't have suspension, and then we had suspension. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, there was no... Well, okay, yeah. We'll get into that later. We'll do a podcast bike update for that. So, let's see here. Man, you know what? Let's Let's make a commitment right now to not talk about the thing that everyone else is talking about. Let's give everyone a break from that insanity. What do you say? Sure. There we go. It's going to be difficult to talk about racing without talking about that, but we can do it. We can. So going to remind everybody, leave a rating and review. It's your cost of admission. If you've never heard the show before, well, we'll let you go through an episode to figure it out. If you've heard the show before, though, you know what you should be doing. Okay, so table of contents, we are going to do a little racing review and analysis, but first we're going to do best worst bike. Let's see, we were going to do a little how to sound like you know what you're talking about, talking about brake bleeds, that's an important thing to do this time of year, and was there anything else we were going to mention? Emails and... Uh, not really, I don't think so. I thought we had another topic, but whatever. Okay, then. So should we get into best worst bike? Uh, let's do it. Okay. So getting right into it like we usually do. Here's the deal. Each week, we each pick a different motorcycle to be the best or the worst bike in the world this week. We alternate who with who has what. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's always a surprise. Don't get your feelings hurt. It's just a fun way to talk about two different motorcycles you might not normally take a second look at. But if you are still upset, just remember, like you might already know and have read on the tank if you own a vintage Honda, preserve nature, there's no crying in motorcycles. Okay. So, you have best bike in the world this week. I do. Excellent. Are you ready to reveal it? Yes. And the best bike in the world this week is? The Vincent Black Shadow. Oh. So, I love this bike because it's quietly a Honda Superhawk that happens to be made by Vincent in the 50s. (laughs) (laughs) So... What do you love about this, besides all the obvious? So, when you look at this bike, it... By today's 
uh, standards, this bike is silly and slow and weak and heavy and awful. But you have to put yourself in 1948 and think about what a one lead, like just how ridiculous a one liter V-twin is. This bike, um, I think in today's money, uh, would be about 16 grand. Uh, it was one of the most powerful bikes at the time. It set the the land speed record for motorcycles in um, at the Bonneville Salt Flats and is famous for possibly one of the greatest photos in all of motorcycling history with... Um, if you're near a computer or on your phone, just uh, Google uh, Rolly Free Vincent, and you'll see the picture of him breaking 150 miles an hour for the first time, wearing nothing but a Speedo, sitting Superman across the, the bike. <laughs> but it was truly a ridiculous machine. And... It did it in a weird way as well because it was, you know, it's it was only one horsepower per ten, per ten pounds of motorcycle. Essentially, you know, beside when you really think about it, this would still be valid under an A2 license in the UK, which is kind of crazy. Or actually, wait, no. really? No, wait. No, it's 0.15 per kilo, isn't it? Okay, no, so it wouldn't be. Yeah, it, I mean, it's not far off. It's, I think it's slightly over. But, I mean, the point is that this is such a ridiculous machine for the time. You know, when people thought, like, the XR750 was a crazy bike from Harley, and you think about how much this bike predates that, it's kind of ridiculous. Well, the weight's really good, too. Look at this. A 500-pound wet weight. So this comes in at a one-liter bike in the 50s. 15 pounds, 20 pounds lighter than my 90s Kawasaki uh, 600 Ninja. Yeah. That's pretty good. I mean, yeah, it's... It's also this really insane mixture of technology as well um, with the leading link and um, the cantilever rear suspension, the four-speed gearbox. There's just so much ridiculousness in this bike where it's this meeting of, you know, two very different generations of motorcycles. Yeah, it's one of those things that's kind of like uh, the the name and the legend was so enduring that people thought it was perhaps the world's fastest bike for a long time after it wasn't. I remember when I, when I was in like middle school, uh, before a lot of people had access to the internet, you know, you'd have these like kind of schoolyard conversations like, oh, what's the fastest car? You know, I remember there was one kid in my class who was like, it's the Cobra. You know, and that hadn't been true since 1968, yeah. right? <laughs> but oh, the Cobra's the fastest car, right? So the Vincent Black Shadow is credited as the world's fastest bike, kind of in the same way, a lot longer 
then it really was the fastest bike. And that's always something that carries some prestige for me. Yeah. Well, it's also the bike that, um, you know, if you get a bunch of baby boomers together talking motorcycles, you know, there's the inevitable topics that always come up. Right. Aerial Square 4, Rabble, 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 CB750, Rabble, Rabble, Vincent Black, Shadow. Right. Right. Uh, it, it, it's on the list. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this, it's like this uh, motorcycle dorkism sort of ace card. No one ever comes right out the gate talking about a Vincent Black Shadow. It's a card that has to be laid at a very specific time in the conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, for my money, it's a little bit better than the Bruff Superior, too. If you had to pick a bike from the time that it was most similar to, I'd say that's the bike. But this one's better because it wasn't a super luxury thing. Bruff Superiors were bikes that really only the super rich at the time could afford and are still the same way today. At $16,000 in today's money, this was sure on the upper end. But not impossible. Yeah. Yeah, it was an attainable thing. You know, in the same way that your average Joe couldn't get a Ferrari, but he could get a he could get a Dodge Viper. Yeah. Now, I sort of love this bike because it's kind of a Honda Superhawk that happened to be made in fifty five. This has the swing arm attaching to the rear of the engine like the Superhawk VTR-1000F. This has, I believe, just the single rear monoshock. Yeah. Super cool. You wouldn't expect that in 1948. This has, I want to say some, like the uh, like the Superhawk, it had some really ridiculously large carburetors on it for the time. I can't find that spec here on what we're looking at, but... Um, there was one other thing it had that I remember came out to me as very super hawk besides the one liter V twin engine setup. I can't remember what it was, but, and of, of course this is a, this is a standard bike rather than a full on, uh, uh, fared sport bike, but I'm sure there are plenty of plenty of racing applications where this did have fairings put on it. Uh, although I don't know, do you think they were? Uh, they might. This must have been like during, during that like dustbin fairing era, right? Uh, I couldn't tell you. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It, this was a sport bike at the time, for sure. Well, I would hope the world's fastest bike at the time was a sport bike, right? You know, the only thing that I don't like about this bike is it's always been very hard for me to deal with that open section of air underneath the seat where I feel a battery or something else should be. Yeah, I know what you mean. It, it's not a deal breaker for me, not at all. But one, it makes it look like the seat can't support the weight of the rider. And I thought, well, I, I was kind of thought if, if it was just going to be empty, wouldn't it be great just to put a little plate in there? that said black lightning under the seat rather than have it on the tank or something. Can't you put something? I don't know, but that's just me. What do I know? And plenty of bikes from the fifties kind of had unusual seat setups and things. It's, it's, it's a nitpicky thing, but whatever. 
So yeah, cool bike. Um, you got anything else on this? Uh, not really. Um, yeah, I think we're ready to move on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, a bike that needs no introduction, really the Vincent black shadow. I mean, I'm sure we could go on and on and on, but once you start telling stories and things about it, it just kind of has to keep going on. Um, right. Let's then move to worst bike in the world this week. So the worst bike in the world this week is the CF 250 T-5, otherwise known as the CF Moto V5 Sport Cruiser. Wait, what is this? For those who think maybe they're worried that we could possibly run out of worse bikes, have no fear, for we have barely begun to scratch the surface of some of the nonsense that comes out of China. Now, I don't want to do a lot of bikes that are China only. So this is an international model in that this was also sold in Australia. So who, who makes this? CF Moto, which oh, is a okay. Chinese company. So this is a bike that answers a question that probably had been answered before, but nonetheless is a rhetorical question, which is, Will Australians buy just anything? (laughs) (laughs) And to their credit, the answer is no, they will not. Australians, I feel so bad for you. You are the world's guinea pigs when it comes to this weird 250 to 400 displacement thing. And, oh, wow. Okay, so this bike... Jeez. So they describe it as something in between a scooter and a motorcycle. And, you know, that's actually a really apt description because we have a vehicle here. Uh, It's kind of like when I was talking about the 650 Bergman with, you know, on the scooter episode. And we were playing that game, Is It a Scooter? And and the answer was, well, no, it can't be a scooter because... The motorcycle world will never accept it. Well, we have a vehicle here that the motorcycle world will never accept, and neither will the scooter world. So saying it's somewhere (laughs) in between the two really is a wonderful description. This is a 250cc, I believe, air-cooled, four-stroke, single-cylinder, making a whopping 18 horsepower at, get this, a red line of only five and a half thousand RPM. Okay. Uh, okay. So yeah. Why can't they couldn't even get this to rev 6,000 RPM because it's made of cheap Chineseium and will fall apart. This is making a lackluster 12.2 foot-pounds of torque. But it weighs 400 pounds dry. Yes. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. So it's, it's also, this is a machine from 2007, carbureted, 
Nice. <laughs> and to top it all off, as if the weirdness couldn't be any weirder, it's a CVT. <sighs> right. Okay. Now, so it's twist and go throttle. It's so like a scooter. as a scooter transmission. It has, you know, uh, of course, just a single disc, which I'm sure is fine to tame that 18 horsepower, right? I do love the gigantic, um, I do love the gigantic exhaust on this bike. And then if you look at a picture of it from the rear, you can see like the tiny half inch diameter scooter exhaust hidden underneath. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... Here, here's some interesting things about it. So in the styling, it looks like they kind of took a Honda Rebel kind of concept, right? right. They gave it a tiny mini backrest and a little luggage rack at the back because it's a scooter, sort of. You have to be able to take things with you. So wait, it, so if this is a CVT. Yeah. And it doesn't have all that much fuel capacity. It's only got a 250 in it. And a weak 250 at that. This thing must either be like two and a half feet tall, or there better be like 10 gallons of storage in that front compartment. Yeah, so there's not. So <laughs> um the the little amenities it has are extremely odd. So Let's check this out. The CF250T, there's a Dash 3 and a Dash 4 and whatever, but the Dash 5 is easily the weirdest looking and strangest one in concept. CFMoto has a range of these 250T Dash whatever bikes, and the Cruiser is the oddest one. So they decided to put a little American flavor on it with the Dash 5 Sport Cruiser, yet there's nothing really cruiser or sport about it. I mean, it has a sort of Honda Rebel-ish looking tank and tail section, and that's really where the similarities end. I guess it kind of has cruiser-ish dials and handlebars, kind of, but... It has the love handles of a sport bike. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, so weirdly, this bike has it's a cruiser with full bodywork. I, I I don't know another way to describe it. Do you? No, that's perfect. So yeah, there's body panels that go all the way from the frame in front of the tank under like around the engine in what looks to be like three or four different pieces. It is all covered up, I guess, to hide the fact that it has almost no engine, right? Like yeah. the Grinch's heart was two sizes too small. This machine <laughs> has a motor not sufficient to call itself a cruiser. Now, the so what you get in this bike for amenities right you get like so we you the passenger gets a little uh backrest uh, as if the 18 horsepower was just gonna launch somebody off the back of it <laughs> right just leave them behind you get a tiny luggage rack which i think this luggage rack 
might be nine square inches. It is not large. I don't know what you could possibly put to it. Then uh, you get some really, really crazy, what are these? One, two, three, four, five, six, six spoke mags in this kind of, these mag wheels look like the clave from Krull. Right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's nothing else they look like. Uh, I love that the bodywork is cut out for the twin rear shocks as well. I don't know. It's just something about how the bodywork, the excessive bodywork on this thing works. And then my favorite thing about it, do you see those little circles with the sort of wing coming out of it? Yeah. Do you know what those are? Brace Uh, yourself. Wait, hang on. I need a better look at this. Right here. Let me bring you up a better picture. So these right here. Are those the horns? Are they speakers? They're speakers. (laughs) So something about this bike, they decided to install two. They look about four inch speakers on either side, resting just below where your knees would be. Right? Yeah, of course. Just projecting sound outwards away from you and below your body. In fact, as close as they could possibly be to the noisy engine. Well, that was the only place they could put them because there's very obviously a completely horizontal 250cc cylinder along the bottom of the bike because it's a scooter motor. Right. So there's actually a bunch of free space right there between the tank and the motor. Yeah. It's curious. <laughs> Is uh, this just like the most ridiculous generalist um, like parts bin decision ever? I I don't know because, you know, if you look at like the Dash 3. I actually kind of love the look of this bike. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. The Dash 3 is so bad it might be good. But... <laughs> This but, is just straight up anime. Yeah. 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 It's something straight out of Akira for sure. But the Dash 5 is really something to behold in its in, in that it doesn't know what it is. So um right. I need to hear an email from an Australian listener who has experienced one of these machines. I really need to know. I need to see video of someone rocking the speakers. I need to know if you can hear them as you're going down the road. I need to know everything. I want to know. It claims a top speed of 80 miles an hour. I'm skeptical. I'm very skeptical also. It claims, you know, that 18 horsepower, that's numbers, you know, claimed from a Chinese manufacturer. I'm skeptical, right? And it's 250, and I'm still like, I don't know. It might be more like 15. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Yeah, I mean, so uh, let's try to, I mean... 
we've got this picture with this tiny girl on it and she, they still have to like push the handlebar away from her to get her arm straight to make it look like this is any decent size. I No, that's not the same bike. Let's see if we can find a good picture of somebody on one because it is not a large thing. I I'm pretty sure a Vespa 300 would dwarf this. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, this looks smaller than a GC250. Right. Which is fine. It's a 250, right? It's a 250 with a scooter CVT. That's fine. I don't know why it ne- like they needed to go for this American cruiser concept with it cuz it's so far out of everything else in this line. Like it really is. Okay, where did they think that this styling and everything was going to work for it? Do you remember the scene in Mars Attacks when the alien spy infiltrates the White House dressed up and disguised as a woman? Yes. That's kind of about as passing as... As the V5. <laughs> as, as, as a cruiser. As a cruiser. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that makes me think about the only, the, this is the right size for Martin Short. <laughs> I could see him on this bike. Yeah. So I guess we just need to say save your money and buy a, a Honda Helix or Forza scooter or something else instead. But I'd import one for 300 for 300 bucks. Yeah, actually, no, I want the three. Yeah, the, the three might be worth it because it's so weird. Uh, but yes, Australians, please let us know what the hell is going on with this thing. Does it do, do weirdos own them? You know, like I'm trying to think of the equivalent bike here that just, I mean, there are people that are into weird fetishy bikes, right? Like we know people that have owned or are into, let's say like Honda PC 800s, unpopular, weird, quirky, fetishy at this point, Right. But they're not serial killers. <laughs> like, what's the bike here that someone owns where you're just like, I'm not even comfortable talking to you? Like, what's the serial killer bike? Uh, I don't know if there is one. That's, Certainly not on this level. Because that's who would own this. Just a straight psychopath owns this bike. There's no way to justify it. There's no way to look or feel cool. There's no way you can feel good about yourself because the performance isn't there. So if you're genuinely into this, like you're keeping this as a as a real decision in your life, I I am afraid of you and I don't want you near my children. Yeah, you're you're definitely getting profiled as a man with nothing to lose. <laughs>
I I love this crazy like black and 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 uh and body color zigzag in the design as well. Oh yeah, well so this is actually something that you see on any remotely budget bike. And not even like cheap bike, but like, you know, a lot of 650s. Um and it's because there's kind of two reasons why the, if you crack the fairings on your bike, it costs a shit ton to fix. One is, you know, all the aero testing they did to de- actually design it and all the design work that went into it costs a fortune. But the second part is that to print a mass, you know, to, to actually mold a single piece of plastic that large with no gaps in it, you know, that's consistent, that comes out and they can mass produce, you're spending millions and millions of dollars on the on the die molds yeah like to have you're you know you're essentially having a piece of you know die cast aluminum die cast aluminum i don't know if that's the right term but it's a massive piece of aluminum that has to sandwich together to create you know two square meters of of bpa and to get those right, to get those precise, is an absolute fortune. So even on like a CBR 650R, you'll also you'll often find that like the fairings look way more elaborate, and there's they're a lot more stylized. And the reason for that is because they make them out of four or five different pieces of plastic because they're way smaller, they're way cheaper. And if you go with multi-tone patterns, you can hide all the seams and you can hide all the imperfections. So the fact that the fit isn't as good doesn't show up. It's just a way cheaper way to do it. If you're not super high performance, super competitive, you can kind of just get away with that. So that makes perfect sense to me that they went for that. Like I bet the single these single color ones look absolutely horrendous up close. I'm just looking at the V3 some more <laughs> now. The V3 is like, it, it looks like a GL1800 and a new Katana got smashed together in a particle accelerator, you know, <laughs> and then shrunk down. <laughs> it's, it, there was a mishap with the... Uh... Yeah, there is. Wow, how am I? I love this as link break. So there's this is two floorboards on it, but neither of them have any controls associated with them. (laughs) And what are these things on the side? Uh, Are they fake intakes? I don't know. At first, I thought like, does this does the V three have winglets? I think they're fake uh, radiator intakes they could be it's hard to it's really hard to tell yeah the the v3 is so wacky i would uh, yeah i'm with you i almost want it because at least the v3 like people are obviously supposed to laugh when they see it and they see you <laughs> on it <laughs> like you you ride this and like you need to be dressed like daniel boone or a clown or something so people get that you're not really into the bike but this must have been used as as a prop in a really shitty 
sci-fi movie at some point. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, you know, it doesn't look unlike the bike from Cyclone. Sort of, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this one has its turn signals intact and the side mirrors. But <laughs> okay. Um, I think we... Yeah, I think we've covered it. So the CFMoto 250T slash 5, you know... Worst bike in the world this week. It's still better than a car. If you don't mind looking like a serial killer. <laughs> okay. I think I need a little bit of a break. Yeah, let's put a little break in here. <laughs> okay, we're no, we're still on worst bike in the world this week because new shit has come to light. I I never found anything in my initial research about CF Moto selling bikes in the States. Turns out I was wrong. Not only that, we got some special models in the States no one else got. So there's the 650, which is trying really hard to be a Honda ST1300. Well, they've also got a naked one that's trying really hard to be a Duke. Yes. Then there's the CF250T-F, which is also known as the CF Moto Fashion, which is straight up a Honda Helix 250. Yeah. Yeah. And then there is the... Well, okay. So in Lexington, Kentucky... There's a dude who has a 2009 CF Moto CF250T-5, the worst bike in the world this week. Although this one is both a trike and a full bagger. Yeah. And it's not He's even... asking five grand for this beauty. <laughs> It's got a windshield everything. Well, it's also not even a proper trike. It's it's the it's Yeah, the it's training four wheel. wheels. It's yeah, the training, training wheels. wheels mod. I mean, is there anything more No, whatever you're about to say, no. <laughs> there's nothing more than this. Is there anything less respectable than the training wheels mod? Uh no, because I because everyone can the training wheels is so sketchy always as well because it involves some home welding like always well there's that and also the fact that you're actively either there you're not making full contact with the ground so you don't really have any any stability until it wobbles back and forth or you're actively taking weight off of the rear wheel that's actually moving the bike. It, it's, yeah, it's not great. The How many rear wheels do you think have ever been changed on bikes that have had the trike mod? None. I don't think anyone's ever got through a full set of <laughs> tires on the training wheel mod. Well, I do have to say this guy with the training wheel mod CF250 Cruiser has some of the highest mileage I've seen on one of these at 3,310 miles. 
I mean, compared to other CF Moto owners, he's really hit the highway. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we should move on. Okay, <laughs> we really will move on. Uh, let's see, what's the next one that we want to do? Um, should we do a podcast bike update? Yeah. Okay, so since the last episode, uh, I've been riding the Goldwing more, and I've now put close to 400 miles on this thing. Uh, so thereabouts. there were a couple like real long days. Now I was just kind of assuming that the suspension was just really horrible, just totally fucked out suspension from the seventies. And, you know, I was already looking into replacing the rear shocks with new ones. Like, you know what? I was like, the springs in these are kind of gone it bottoms out when you hit railroad tracks and shit. Like, it's just no good. Turns out with a little detective work today, I tracked down. Well, I noticed I had noticed there was a weird little little stubby thing sticking out of the vetter fairing. But I didn't really give too much thought to it. But with a little detective work today... I realized that someone had already replaced the suspension on it, which I knew it wasn't the stock suspension. But if you look a little closer at this particular bike, there's um, airlines running to the rear shocks and they're joined together at the front of the bike, someone has run airlines all the way from from uh, the rear suspension, kind of like tucked in underneath, running up under. It goes through the uh, the the spot for the wiring harness under the fender, under the seat, through the dummy tank, out the dummy tank, into the side of the vetter fairing up front into the the lockable glove box and then they mounted the the valve for the rear suspension up front in the most convenient spot ever and so i put some air on it and the bike leaped like two three inches up into the air and now it's wonderful i it never occurred to me that it was just absolutely like fine i thought it must have been shot it there was no way and i was just kind of riding it dealing with it and seriously considering putting new suspension in it turns out it's absolutely fine so when we also i i i, I think i accurately diagnosed what was up with the uh the brakes as well yeah i don't know can you describe to people quickly what that was because well, yeah, it's got a, um, it has a ridiculously cumbersome, uh, throttle lock on it. And the way it's positioned, uh, there's no way this is stock. This is a terrible, terrible piece of equipment. Um, and the way it's set up, the, the, the nut and the nut and bolt holding the whole thing to the handlebars protrudes out directly behind the 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 brake lever so as right when you're starting to get some real braking power 
you have a hard stop hitting this nut coming off of the handlebar. Yeah. Yeah. Your last like half inch of travel on the brake. You just, well, no, it's not a half inch. It's probably a quarter inch. But yeah, that's an important quarter inch. So yeah, I think I want to air. I, I think I want to put five more PSI in the forks and see how that feels compared to the rear now. But the rear feels pretty good for just my weight without too much else in it. So mm, the Goldwing's like 100% sorted now. I can sell it to someone, look them in the face honestly, and say this is a super reliable, super safe bike. And I've put enough miles on it also that I think I'm comfortable taking it on a on a pretty decent road trip. So obviously the trip we were thinking we might take it on has been canceled. So we're now looking at maybe right taking a whole week and riding to mid Ohio. Mm-hmm. So um, if anyone else is going to be riding out that way, I don't know, I guess we're open to riding with other people or whatever. Um, yeah, we'll probably leave on the, the crack of dawn on the Thursday or something before that, maybe the Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. So we're there the Friday apocalypse permitting. Exactly. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, that's the update on the Goldwing. She's looking pretty freaking sharp at this point. And I am super happy with the with the decision. I've thought about when I sell it, what my new idea is. So I, th- I think it's worth an honest three grand. I really, and I think it's kind of a deal for that as well. Well, no, I think it's worth a little bit more than three, three and a half, somewhere in there. Like when they're listed as excellent condition on, you know, whatever, not a guides or whatever. They say like five grand. I mean, it's in good enough condition that you could enter it into a show, but you, there's no way you would ever freaking win, but you could take it to like, you know, some local event that has a little mini bike show and people would ooh and on be like, Oh man, this one's really fucking clean, man. You know, you could be proud of it. So I think I would get three for it. It's probably to the right person worth a little bit more, but whatever. I'll take three, and I kind of want to see if I can get a couple SSR, like 50cc bikes for my kids, and then maybe see if I could score a CRF 250 or something. And this fall, me and the kids could start riding dirt. I think that might be what I use this for. One big epic trip, and then we'll see after that. So, yeah, that's where we're at with that. And now I think we want to move on to how to sound like you know what you're talking about with brake bleeds. Okay, so this is how to sound like you know what you're talking about, our pathetically informed tech segment. So we, I wanted to talk about brake bleeds. Because it's such a simple job that a lot of people neglect. Or it's like one of the things people say, okay, there's plenty of places to save a buck. Your tires and your brakes are not that place. So just pay someone to do it. But this is a job so simple these days. If you saw the guy doing it, you would be pissed at how much you paid to have it done yeah so 
I, I kind of wanted to walk people through my method for doing this, which is not uncommon, but it's also still a bit of a blend of different ways I've seen it done. And it's stupid easy. So step one is the next time you're driving by Harbor Freight, stop and get a couple syringe bottles or syringes, right? Like, uh, like the, like, you know, what you'd give your, you know, or if you're going by Walgreens or whatever, get a little like kids medicine applicator, right? Whatever you want, some sort of syringe, right? And then, you know, get yourself your, uh, your brake fluid, you know, what? just buy dot four. <laughs> let's just let's skip it. Um, dot four and dot five are interchangeable. Dot five has a slightly higher boiling point. And well, now dot three and dot four are interchangeable. Sorry. Dot five you might get away with, and 5.1 don't fuck with. Just use dot 5.1 if you need 5.1. Also, be very careful about asking for dot five anywhere because if they give you the purple shit that's what the harleys use that is not your abs compliance brake fluid you do need the 5.1 right but yeah if it's three or four just buy the dot four it's the same shit except the four is slightly better anyway um so yeah if you've got non-abs brakes or even with abs brakes uh it's 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 a it's changing your brake fluid is a lot simpler than you think. So you've got your brake fluid, you've got your syringe. Uh, you're going to make sure you've got plenty of paper towels and things. If you can put your bike on the center stand, I recommend doing it. You want it to be stable because well, brake fluids, nasty shit. Now paint thankfully is a lot better than it was in the seventies. So you'll hear a lot of people tell you about how brake fluid will eat through anything like it's xenomorph blood from the alien movies. It's not that bad, but it's still nasty shit. So get yourself a bottle of it and make sure you got plenty of, you know, rags and things around and paper towels, whatever you're going to open up your reservoir. And if you listen to Cleveland Moto, Phil will tell you, to suck out all that um, that brake fluid out of there, but you only want to suck it down until it's uh, you know probably a little bit past the bottom line of the reservoir. You don't want to actually suck it down so it starts getting past the valve. That's not what you want. You just want to empty what's out in the cup and just leave the leave the bottom of the cup just barely still covered with fluid. So there's no risk of getting air in the line or any more air in the line if you haven't done this for a while. And really all this step does is save you extra time in the next steps. So you've pulled that that uh, that old nasty brake fluid out. So then you can, you know, you're going to have some sort of receptacle somewhere for putting awful brake fluid in, probably some sort of cup, large cup, because you're probably not going to buy the special brake fluid cup with the attached hose to it and the nice screw on lid, which Swiggy highly recommends for this job. But let's be real. You're not going to buy it. 
It's like $4 at Harbor Freight. I know, but people don't buy them. What they will have lying around is a little bit of fuel line and like some sort of big gulp cup. And that'll work. You need to be super careful, but it will work. So. (coughs) Yeah. Wear gloves and do not touch your eyes. Yeah. Well, there is that too. Right. So. You're going to then, most likely, well, what you want to do now is enlist the help of a friend. You can do this as as a, a humanoid that's, you know, but you, you really want to enlist the help of a friend. If you have a cup and enough fuel line and something to place it on and you you trust a lot of things in the cup not to fall over. You can do this by yourself, but enlist the help of a friend. Why not get a six pack of beer and make a day of it? I literally just duct tape the cup to the wheel. That's not bad. Cause why? Cause it, you know, whenever you do it, it's, there's always stuff that could get knocked over. Hose never quite behaves the way you want it to. Literally just duct tape everything to the bike. This is something you have to do maybe once every six months. Maybe once a year. So just don't fuck around. Just get everything in place and it's fine. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to start doing that. But anyway, I usually enlist the help of a friend. Or honestly, I usually do this with dad. So one of you is going to sit on your knees holding the cup with one hand or it's duct taped to the wheel, which is even better. And you're going to have an eight mil wrench on the, the bleed nipple of your brakes. You know, flip that little rubber cap up and you're going to have the wrench on there. And then the other person is going to stand next to the bike, preferably watching the the hose coming off of the nipple. You're going to take that little bit of fuel line that you've got lying around. You're going to stick that over that nipple. And the other side's going into your cup. And then someone's going to say, squeeze. I don't care who says squeeze. Someone says squeeze or open. or Sorry, squeeze or close. And then someone is then going to crack the brake open. Right? Mm-hmm. And that person's going to hold the the brake lever closed until the person with the wrench closes it again and says close. And you're going to keep doing that until the flu... Oh, sorry. I did forget one important part. Before you start doing this, you're going to refill your, your reservoir, obviously. You're going to keep doing this again, over and over again, until the fluid that comes out is clean looking. And that's all there is to it. Yeah, it's really just the super nasty caustic chemicals and the tediousness of the job. That's really all there is to it. There's no particular skill in it. It's extremely straightforward. It's an it's an extremely Googleable thing as well, and YouTubeable. Like there's no end of examples of you'll see people doing this, and they all have their little tips and tricks. But really, what this is is a reminder for everyone to just do some service to your brakes. 
Because kind of like last week's episode, people just pull everything out of the garage and just go riding. And everyone's so excited to do that, that you look over this and... You know, the, the last couple weeks of the of the season last year, I was I was noticing that when I took the Super Hawk out, if I'm honest with myself, it really took two or three pumps of the brake until it felt like it normally does, or until it felt like it should. And I kind of thought to myself, well, it's not a big deal. Like, I'm only going to be riding another week or two that I'm going to sort of put this thing away or whatever. Uh, I know we've got some some serious winter coming up, um, and I and, you know, and as a result of the battery kind of going a bit on it, I knew it needed brake work or whatever. I didn't really ride all season this winter like I normally do. Plus, there just really realistically were not a lot of days that we could have ridden over the last couple months. So, anyway, getting the bike out this. The, the, you know, a couple of weeks ago or a week. Yeah, I guess a couple of weeks ago I thought, oh, that's right. Like I can't ride this bike till I do that, but I'm pretty disciplined with these things and many people are not. So describing how to bleed your brakes, this isn't, this shouldn't be like some you know revelation to anybody. I'm guessing it's really just a reminder. Hey, pay some attention to your freaking brakes. Also check your tire pressure. Yeah. Well, if you're not <laughs> if you're not checking your tire pressure from time to time, I mean, you know, God help you. Yeah. But you'd be surprised after people take their bikes out. Yeah, well, I think the uh the answer to that is if you don't want to ch- check your tire pressure, that's okay. But you need to drop the 180 bucks on the on the 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 tire pressure monitoring system if you don't want to be that guy that checks his tire pressure cool but then it's on you to buy the tire pressure monitoring system yeah or else god help you or you could just be normal and just check it once every couple weeks well, I mean, really, you should check it every time, but nobody does that. Nobody does that. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's talk some racing. Uh, obviously, the GP class in Qatar was canceled, as everyone knows, but Moto2 really kind of held up, didn't it? Uh, yeah, it was awesome. So qualifying was super-duper awesome because our boy... The only American, Joe Roberts, not, he, he set the lap record, didn't he? So technically, so he set the lap record for Moto2 in Qatar in free practice. However, this is only the second year of the, the 750 engine or 765s of the 765s. Right. It's okay. One day you'll get there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's only the second year. It's only the second weekend with those bikes. So somebody was going to set it. So, but then he beat it again in um, qualifying and he tied with Sky VR guy. Uh, Mir? Uh, Marini? 
Did you talk with Marini? Is it Marini or Marino? I can't remember. I think it's Marino. But, but he did tie it. Rossi's stepbrother? Something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he yeah. did tie for the record with his pole qualifying time. Um, He technically, even though they were the same time to a thousandth of a second, um, he still got pole because his second fastest lap was faster. Uh, he also didn't get uh, a slipstream from his teammate while he was doing it. Uh, so undeniably he was the fastest in qualifying um things didn't go quite as well for him in the race um and he didn't podium but he came he came damn close to it and he did lead the race for like the first half of it yeah and it's been a long time since we've had an american lead a race so there's that as well and this is from Oh, Joe Roberts is doing well in 15th place. You know, like we've actually got some screen time besides him just being the token American. Well, let's step back and take like a thousand foot view at this. Let's start with the team. So, yeah, I'm in love with the team because this is another one of those teams that's highly suspicious for just being a money laundering operation. It used to be called Swiss Racing, and it's owned by just like some Swiss billionaire who is either an extreme enthusiast or extreme money launderer. (laughs) And, uh, you know, given that it's Swiss, you know, Swiss banks, all that kind of... I'm I'm leaning towards money launderer, but it, it... the So now the team with Joe Roberts is called... American Racing or American Racing Academy. I think it's American Racing Academy. Anyway, American Racing Team. Is it American Racing Team? Yes. Okay. And it's gone for the red, white, and blue theme real hard. And kind of like Leopard Racing doesn't have a whole lot of other sponsors in there, which is a classic sign of a corrupt team. <laughs> And well, it's a Moto Two team, so okay. But so this team has no sponsors, from what anyone can tell. No, it has sponsors. Okay, it has like the token sponsors that everyone has, like the small stickers that they put on the bikes for the free stuff that they get. No one's giving them any money. That's probably true. Yeah. There's stickers from parts that are just given to them because, you know, they, they need to be known. Uh, so there's, let's see. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the, the red, white, and blue is awesome, basically. It's, there's, there's some sort, something in between Captain America and Evil Knievel going on, which is very, very pleasing. It's almost bordering on looking like a like an HRC type of, you know, Honda World Superbike kind of thing. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Now, everyone agrees that this team is exceptionally well funded. So it's basically a top of the line bike. It's a Calix frame. 
and and all of that. There's nothing skimped on. And for the first time, Joe Roberts has a riding coach who is no other than John Hopkins, former MotoGP rider. Now, this is amazing for us because we are British passport holders with American accents. And who else is? Joe Roberts. As, as, as American as he is, he has a British father. Oh, and who else is British American? John Hopkins. <laughs> this really was our race, our moment. This was, this was our uh, cross the pond sort of thing. And I wanted Joe to win this race so hard. Um, you know, I, 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 I kind of came into the race though, like after being excited for a little while, for for hours really. Um, I came into it thinking, well, you know, okay, the GP's canceled, so just Moto Two classically doesn't really deliver as well as it should. So just calm yourself. And then I noticed how like all the names that were racing. And the Moto2 field is stacked this year. Yeah, uh, besides uh, Thomas Luthi and Marcel Schroeder, who are the kind of the guys who have just, you know, they're on their 12th semester of college, essentially, in the, in the right. journeyman class. Besides them, everybody in there has maybe been there two to three years max or just got into the class and they're all names that have huge expectations of them it's really a super stacked class this year yeah do you, do you have the names of everyone that's in there right now because i'm going to forget a lot of them off the top of my head so we've got rafine who's a new guy we've got uh baldessari we've got navarro We've got Marini, we've got Bulaga, then we've got Luthi, we've got Joe Roberts, we've got Dalaporta, uh, yeah, G. Antonio, um, let's see, Samuels has been there forever, but Bastianini, uh, Ramirez, Fernandez, Canets, like these are all race winners, right? Uh, ben Snyder has won. Pons has won, I think. Monzi won one race last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Bezeki, you know, was fighting for the Moto3 championship. Um, Gardner has been threatening to win a race really hard. <laughs> uh, Chevy Vierge constantly in the top 10. We also have I mean, Jorge Martin, who did win it last, win Moto3 last year. Exactly. And then like, you've got Tetsuda Nagashima who won this race. Like they're, you know, 70% of this of this uh entire class is really expecting to get podiums or just straight up win the the championship, right? I I mean, everyone from like Baldassare Bulaga 
Marini, Navarro. I mean, I, I feel like all these guys have a total legit shot. Yeah, so there's some people I could rule out, but only four or five of them at most. Yeah, I mean, I don't think all of them have a chance at a win, but the yeah, I would say a good 70% of them have a solid chance at a few podiums. Yeah. So I I'm look I'm looking forward to as much as much uh as much Moto 2 as I can handle this year because traditionally it's kind of been a class of nobodies, right? For years, the best of Moto 3 was just skipping straight to G- to GP. Yeah, I mean, it used to be I mean, not full of nobodies, but it used to be a bunch of, you know, the, it used to be a class of, you know, two or three rising stars, and then the rest are people who kind of just got stuck in the class. Right. And we're kind of too old to move up to up to GP. Like they never had a shot. But now it's completely different. Yeah. So um let's see. The the Moto 3 race was great, but I don't know. I think it's just a, a kind of largely due to the nature of the bikes and, and the and the track and everything. Qatar is always weird. So um, I think we should talk about World Superbike. Yep. So it's kind of upside down world. Like normally Moto2 and World Superbike sucks. And that's not how the season started this year. So um, World Superbike kind of like moto two for once the pack is really stacked with with names that we know with race winners that we know i mean just the the amount of x moto gp riders that are in there so there's scott redding who came in because he won british superbike last year you know x gp rider there's eugene laverty who went who came from moto gp there's Alex Lowe's who came from GP or did he came from Moto2. Uh, yeah, he came from Moto2. The, um, there's, there's another one in there that's from GP as well. I can't remember who, but I mean, think of the names that are, that are still in world Superbike. We've got, you know, an exceptional amount of Brits. Like there's, um, Chaz Davies, uh, we've got, of course, Johnny Ray, we've got Tom Sykes, we've got... Uh, Leon Haslam. Leon Haslam. Oh, Loris Baz, the other GP writer. Uh, we've got, let's see, who else is a big name in there? Um, uh, Vandermark. We've got... Oh, there's people I'm leaving out, like big names. Alvaro um, Bautista. Alvaro Bautista, there we go. Uh, and then we've uh, we've got Garrett Gerloff from Moto America last year. Yep. And basically, in all the races in the first round at Phillip Island, I, well, first of all, it was all awesome because, well, Phillip Island is always awesome. It, it's such a great track. I think it may be the best track. I can't remember a Phillip Island race 
for any series that wasn't great. Yeah. If I had to pick one track right now where I was going to go to, like, fly to, to go see a race, I'm kind of thinking Phillip Island. A lot of people think about going to Europe. I don't know. I'm thinking Phillip Island. If you're going to go to only one race, then yes. Mm. Anyway, so the the races were awesome because our... Except for the first race, there were three different manufacturers on the podium and two different manufacturers for the first race. Like it was split up. There were many times the top four, the top five were four or five different manufacturers. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of been a slow buildup, but Yamaha has been getting more and more competitive over the years, and now they're just consistently in those podium spots throughout the whole race. We had, um, you know, we have Scott Redding really representing Ducati up in the top as well. Well, yeah, third place in all three races. Yeah. Then we also have, um, we actually had Hondas in the front pack, not not any, not any podiums, but like actually showing up like they well, actually yeah, got camera time. It's the new bikes first race out. Uh, that's that's amazing just to be in the top 10. Yeah. And it's also worth pointing out that while it didn't have the explosive start that the V4R did. You also have to keep in mind that. Ducati was already competitive and already had a ton of data. Honda has totally neglected the superbike scene. Like, forever. So the fact that they now have a bike that can do as well as it did just now, I mean, how many experts are there for setting up Fireblades? Probably not a lot. If you compare it to R1s, it might be a factor of 10 more. Yeah. So now that they've just demonstrated that they can ride, actually be competitive with the other bikes, once they start getting data, I would imagine that the bikes would imp- the bikes will improve very, very quickly. So we got that going for us as well. We've got... Um, we got a BMW leading for part of a race. It's, it's just kind of all over the place. It's it's an actual contested series so far. Well, yeah. I mean, it's still just the first round, but Right, but we're not we're not seeing a Ducati or Jonathan Ray just run away with it right from the beginning. Right. So let's see here. Where um I mean, obviously, we don't know when we'll be able to, you know, see the next races happen. But I'm I'm so I'm glad that these first rounds were so good because there's so much to to think about and wonder about that this season is going to be radically different than just the usual in the past for Moto2 and World Superbike. There's a really great reason to watch them. But it's also super frustrating because now I have no idea when 
that need to know what happens next is going to be satisfied. Yeah. It's brutal. I mean, we'll find out when we find out. It's it's probably going to be not till July, I'm thinking. June or July. I bet I bet June races will get canceled. I I have to tell myself that June races, you know, May and June races will get canceled. So I'm prepared for it if it happens, right? Yeah. I need to pre-disappoint myself. But uh um yeah, I don't know. Uh if Coda happens, if Coda's happening in November, I don't know if we're gonna be able to go this year. I mean, it it's gonna see. I mean, who knows? Who knows what can happen, right? But um yeah, basically, uh I guess the last thing to mention in racing is in case anyone out there cares, the Oh my gosh, what's I asked you this the other night. What's the what's the MotoGP online package thing called? Video Pass. Video Pass. I don't know why I can it's such a plain ass name, it's hard to remember, right? It doesn't help that World Superbikes online uh streaming is also called Video Pass. Right. And for some reason I can always remember the Moto America Live Plus a lot easier. Um so the on the video pass this year, anticlimactically, is it's all going to be delayed as well. They're now showing the, and maybe they were last year, and I just didn't notice, but they're showing the CEV, the Red Bull Rookies Cup, the Asian Cup talent, and the it's called the British Cup talent. What's the other one called? Yeah, yes, yeah, the British Cup talent, and it's the Asia talent. Or I think they're just both called the Talent Cups. The British Talent Cup and the Asian Talent Cup. Or, okay. Yeah. Something close to that. Yeah. So if you want to see Rocco Landers and all of the, you know, the his type up and coming racers who are, you know, 15, 14, whatever, duking it out, you know, six, eight rounds at a time over the seasons for, you know, vying for Moto3 spots, basically, that's cool stuff, too. These races are generally super frustrating because the bikes are all identical and they only differ in the numbers on the bikes, but the commentating is pretty good. And, uh, and yeah, so I'm going to be watching those with as, as soon as they pop up as well. I'm going to be starved for so much racing that by the time it comes around, I'll just be shutting myself in. Right. Um, so let's see, anything else we want to cover on this one? It's kind of a short episode, but we're at least over an hour. Maybe an hour I mean, and ten. Yeah, there's not much to go on right now. We we should have been knee-deep in in racing content, but... I know, we just had to like extend like two, yeah, two, round, two half rounds of things just as far as we could. Um, yeah, let's see. <sighs> I guess we just want to, uh, I don't know. You know what? I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay super positive because spring is here on time or early. You know, I'm going to ride to work tomorrow. I've got, um, a, a cool new old bike for doing that. It's, it is magic. That thing in the cold, like, yeah, you know, I was telling you, like forty degrees in the mornings. I've been able to ride it wearing just the heat light and a hoodie. 
it's th- this this bike has brought down the 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 weather i can ride in at least 10 if not 15 degrees if i bundle up fully i may be able to just deal with anything on that bike it's pretty cool so yeah as long as i wake up and the forecast hasn't changed to rain or something that's going to be good and we've got plenty of sunshine on the on the forecast so i'm not going to complain and also, as another added bonus, the roads are largely clear. Yeah, that's pretty sweet, too. Traffic is not going to be a big deal. So that's that's I'm going to take advantage of that. Uh, yeah, so I've got nothing else if, unless you do. Oh, you know what? I forgot to do emails. Oh, how many emails do we have? got like four good ones do we oh right we do all right can we take a quick break yeah let's do that so i need Let me to put it in here okay so that does it for racing but we said we were going to get to emails so let's get to some emails have you got them pulled up yep all right who are we going to start with uh we're going to start with jake who is uh, doing a follow-up on an email we got from a kid earlier about convincing parents to let you ride. And he says, Hey, Moto G, Pete, and Swiggy, I know I'm super late to the punch here, but I've only recently been working through your podcast after hearing Bruce recommend it on This Moto Life. I just recently listened to the episode with the 14-year-old who wanted to learn how to convince his parents to let him get a motorcycle and something about that resonated with me. I was also into motorcycles from a very young age, since my grandpa was a professional mechanic and armor racer, and I grew up spending time in his garage. Unfortunately, my uncle, his son, died in a flat-tracking accident in the early 20s, long before I was born, and my grandpa passed away when I was about eight. Motorcycles have become a taboo subject in my family, and I slowly forgot about how much I liked what my grandpa used to do. Fast forward to college, I inherited an older car from a family member, and my aircraft mechanic brother-in-law happened to own the exact same model. Since it was my only car and daily driver, I asked him to teach me how to work on it. Since my degree is in mechanical engineering, I figured it would be good to get some hands-on experience with what I was learning in my classes. That choice has now spiraled out of control into full-blown car addiction which then leaked over into the world of motorcycles I loved as a kid. My grandpa had left a garage full of old stuff, and I asked my grandma if she minded if I fixed up some of what he left behind. I started on his 89 Chrysler TC by Maserati with my brother-in-law, and then moved on to my grandma's 1982 Suzuki GS450L. I wanted another project after that was done and bought a 2001 Suzuki SV650S in rough shape with plans to fix it up. When I told my dad I'd bought a motorcycle, the first words out of his mouth were, what are you going to do with it? When I told him I wanted to fix it up and learn how to ride on it, he told me he would steal it from my backyard in the middle of the night and take it to a scrapyard. This was one of the few times I've ever seen that man with tears in his eyes. I sold the SV soon after that. Now here's the point of this rambling email. 
I'm now 23 and live completely independent of my parents. And I finally bought my first, my real first bike, a 2014 Ninja 300. I dreamt for so long about getting into riding and I, and I had to accept that my parents wouldn't ever support that decision. Sometimes you just have to wait for your life to catch up with your dreams, I guess. And attached are some pictures of his grandpa's triumphs, his uncle's flat tracker, the GS, the SV, and the Ninja. And then he says, uh, huge fan of the podcast. Keep up the great work. You guys always make my commute and work day go by a little bit faster. And I can't wait to catch up on the newest episodes. Thanks for reading. Okay, so... hmm. I mean, the question of people being concerned about you writing, I've heard different shows try to tackle this, and there's really nothing to be done about it, is my ultimate conclusion. I've come to a place where if you have the right education and a reasonable mindset, it's you know, you can kind of conclude that writing is as dangerous as you want to make it. If you obey speed limits and you don't drink and you check all your zones, you know, like your mirrors and everything is as often as you're supposed to. It's as safer, safer than a car. You know, if you drink and you speed and you ride outside your limits and all those things, it's ridiculously dangerous. It, it, it can be so many things. Bikes, it's almost like as if bikes aren't dangerous, there are riders who are dangerous. I mean, it's not that way, but it's almost that way. So there's really no convincing anyone that's not on board, especially if they don't ride. They just don't get it. They have an idea of bikes in their head, and you're really not going to change that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Step one. Be financially independent. Step two, just get a fucking bike. Yeah. And looking at those pictures, uh, I'm willing to bet those Triumphs are super valuable. There's a good chance. Like, what they are specifically, it's hard to tell, but they just kind of look like Bonnevilles of a pretty desirable year that have been all raced up. Yeah. Yeah. So... All right, let's move on. Yeah, next email. So this is from Edward, and he says, you don't know gold wings. And he says, hi, guys. Just found your podcast. I listened to you to your latest as of a week ago, Leading Link versus Inverted Dorks. I don't know if you intended to write dorks. Oh, I totally did. I didn't have a good name for the episode, and I was like, you know... We don't take ourselves very seriously. And also, just in case anyone did have any technical problems, I I could point out, you know, the episode says inverted dorks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I also just love a stupid name. I'm a sucker for a stupid name on something. So, yeah, I mean, and then I just thought, I also thought if it was a typo, I didn't want to fix it. Right. <laughs> All right, and it says, uh, I had a good chuckle when you said you, if I recall correctly, uh, okay, that's not correct. Had a good chuckle when you said uh, the 1978 Goldwing was gravity feed fuel. Check again, 
every Goldwing has had a fuel pump, either mechanical in the early years or electrical later. The type of fuel metering, carburetor versus fuel injection, isn't the issue. Look where the fuel tank is located. That shelter in front of the seat that looks like the fuel tank just covers the fuse box, air filter, coolant tank, etc. The actual fuel tank is under your butt. That is, the fuel level is even or lower than the carburetors, so just like old carbureted cars, a pump is needed. I listened to your first podcast, uh, and one of them you spoke of, the Goldwing 1600. Don't think so. And I think you missed another big reason to get rid of leading link, weight. Look at all that steel below the steering stem on a Ural or old BMW. And standard forks have lower unsprung weight, and inverted forks even less. Much better for keeping the tire on the road. Thanks for the podcast. So yeah, all of that's, you know, legit and valid. He's a bigger nerd than we are, but that's okay. I did know where the fuel tank was, and... He was right. It de- the Goldwing definitely does have a a uh, fuel pump. Although I think I actually think on I was wrong. I, I told him I said no. It does. You're right. It does have a. I responded an email. I said it does have a mechanical. But actually, looking at it, it's an electric fuel pump on the '78. Even that early. Well, it would have to be, wouldn't it? How else would you prime it? Um. No, it's it's just got an accelerator pump, like, like it, like a right. Seat. But if it was a mechanical pump, how would you ever prime it? Like, how would you actually get fuel to the carburetors? Because you would have to run it off the crank to actually get fuel into it, into the carburetors in the first place. Well, when you run the starter, it would turn everything. I guess. Yeah, it's it's not a big deal. And again, one of the still sil- great system. Yeah. yeah, it works. Okay, it's fine. Mm. We're just gonna get ourselves. We're just gonna end up saying something wrong again, and someone's gonna get mad, which is okay. But you know, let's avoid it if we can. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, talking about a sixteen hundred gold wing, I don't know. It's easy to just get numbers fucking wrong. Is my answer on that one. Um, but anyway, we appreciate any and all corrections and emissions emails. The idea is we don't have to know everything. Us and a few thousand people can know everything much easier, and then everyone's happy. And we can also just tread into more water, you know, knowing that people have our backs and we'll fill in the facts and the gaps that we leave along the way. Yep. Uh, right. So, what's the next email? Uh, our next is another. Um, email from Richard with the uh, Manx Knievels and he says hey guys just a quick note to thank you both for the segment you did with Jazz about our upcoming charity ride on the Isle of Man we're hoping that this coronavirus won't throw a spanner in the works so fingers crossed if you get a chance to give this event another plug that would be awesome and while I'm on tell Pete that I finalized my oh actually we probably shouldn't read that one We'll Why not? What's wrong with that? Uh, bah, 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 bah. I don't know. Should we read that? Let's just skip that line. You can fix this in post. Okay. Living the show and still amazed that Pete bought a Goldwing. I can understand the bike, but for fuck's sake, don't let him buy the matching trailer. Okay. So, yeah, I'm firmly against motorcycles pulling trailers. And 
Also, it's not really that kind of gold wing. <laughs> Check the Instagram for pictures. It's it's not that kind of gold wing. But it is kind of magic. All right. Um, and, uh, yeah, check out the Isle of Man uh, Knievels. What's well, called, uh, it's called Ride Knievels. Ride, Ride Cymru is the, the name of the event, or the original event. And then this one's called Ride Knievels, right? I'm pretty sure. Manx Knievels. Yeah. If you, if you type Manx Knievels, you'll find it. And, it. and I'm sure people heard the episode. Reminder, everyone, check out that charity. Give to it. It's awesome. It's hilarious. I really want it to come to America so we can take part in it. Yeah. I want to do the Route 66 ride they, had, they have in mind. All right. And uh, so one last email from Phil, and he says, Yo, dudes, Phil from Denver here again. I had shoulder surgery just when the weather turned good, so I haven't had, been able to ride the last couple weeks. Sucks. <sighs> But I'm in PT and getting better about the weather. I'm getting better. And the weather is finally getting warm enough so I can start commuting to work at 5 a.m. I guess I probably just need to get some better cold weather gear and stop being a pussy. But goddamn, my hands are so cold on the highway when it's under 40. Fuck this pandemic bullshit, huh? Rescheduling coders to November sucks. Oh well, at least they didn't cancel it outright. And maybe they will replenish the toilet paper reserves by then. Are you guys still planning on attending it, or is it TBD right now? For my question for the podcast this week, I am in the market for another bike, and I wonder, what do you think about buying new versus used? I am going to keep my CBR500R to use for commuting to work, so I want something fast and fun in the sporty category. The used market is so strong. So much good stuff for pretty cheap, but a new MT-09 is under 10k also. Do you think that there is a good reason to buy new versus used if I'm going to pay with cash anyway for something that is 10k or less? I could even stretch to a new ZX6R or Triumph Street Triple, or maybe a CB1000R. But I could also go to Steels right now and buy a 2016 GSX S1000 for 6.5k, or a Ducati Supersport from Foothills BMW for 95 I guess the only real benefit I see with buying brand new is that you get the most up-to-date hardware IMU traction control, and you are guaranteed some squid didn't already get his dirty dick beaters all over the bike and wring it out before the break-in period was done. What are your thoughts? On a side note, I would subscribe to Patreon to support you guys or buy stickers or t-shirts. Anyway, love the guests and the content is top-notch. The GL1000 looks pretty good, and I don't know if this is autocorrect or painkillers, but he signs off with keep fucking the dragon. I saw that, and I approve. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to officially change the tagline, but I, <laughs> I'm considering it. So looking at buying used or new, whatever, age-old problem, right? If something you really, really want pops up near you or something too good to be true sure but if you're really getting down to well i already have a bike and then i want this other specific kind of bike to to even out the stable i almost think more like get it in your head what you want and then go out looking for that thing. And if you find it used or find it new, 
you know, reevaluate. But rather than the kind of deal you're going to get, I would start by thinking what you actually want because it's your second bike. If it's your first bike, by all means, look for something, anything that's a smoke and deal because then you're going to have more money for your gear and all that other stuff. You also feel left out one very important thing that you get with a new bike, a warranty. Yeah. So that's worth considering as well. I mean, your CB500 probably is going to run awesome because it's CB500 and they just run awesome. But I don't know. It, you know, it's, I don't know. Listen to uh, Cleveland Motor from a few weeks ago and the like current like 600 or 700 recalls that are out there as well. I mean, I don't, you don't need a warranty for recalls, but you know, it, it, even on new bikes, it's, it's kind of, you know, newer bikes. It's worth having a warranty or something. It's, it's, it's a nice little peace of mind sort of thing. Uh, and yeah, the, someone's dick beaters all over the bike. The, one of the smartest things I ever heard said about bikes was, uh, Miss Emma said at a certain point, a bike isn't a product of its manufacturer. It's a product of its owner. Yeah. So that's why it's always tricky to buy a 600 super sport with 30,000 miles. What kind of 30,000 miles was that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you, if you want a Ducati Supersport, then go get that Ducati. If you want whatever, get it in your head what it is you really want. This is your second bike, so make it something that you're really super proud of. You know, something you really, really want. Because you've already got the, the reliable commuter backup bike. Yeah. Mm. Go for broke. If you've got a super reliable bike, you can get a weird vintage bike that might be a bit of a hassle. And it's not a big deal because you've got the other bike that you know that's always going to start. So that's my take on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, definitely be, be, try and be a bit more targeted with your second bike. The one thing I will say is if you are going to buy new from a dealership, and you're going to pay with cash, whatever you do, don't tell them that you're going to pay with cash until it actually comes time to settle the financials. Because it turns out, cash is no longer king. Every dealership is looking to make the majority of their money on you off of the loan they're going to try and sell you. Essentially... I mean, essentially at this point, most large dealers are are almost more banks than than garages or uh, bike salesmen. So basically, the if you announce that you're going to pay cash, their first thought is, okay, well that's another eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars that I'm not going to make. I'm not all that interested in you anymore. So just keep that in your back pocket if you are going to go that route. Um but besides that, yeah. You know, your first bike is the one that you're that you shouldn't be too picky on. 
on your second bike, yeah, try and make it a bit more targeted. Yeah. And as far as Coda goes, no, we're not going because it's been completely canceled and the Moto America there has been canceled as well. So, Phil, I hope you're not going no, because you'll be pretty about, lonely. He was talking about um, November. Oh, are we going in November? We don't know if we're going in November. Yeah. I'd like to, but it's tricky. Also, we might have a sort of family member coming. Well, no, a fa- yeah, someone coming over from the UK for Formula One a few weeks before. It's possible, maybe, who knows at this point. But they were going to. And. Yeah, it's yeah. all over the place. It's where we're trying to figure it out. So we n- don't know. Don't know. All right. So I think that does close it out for the episode, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. So reminding everyone as we sign out here, as always, to leave those raising reviews wherever you can. It's your cost of admission for the show and your little way to help us out and say thank you. Also reminding you to send us emails to contact at nokomotopodcast.com. And as always, stay safe, stay tuned, and keep fighting or fucking the dragon. And let's run the outro. And I don't want to die. Just want to ride on my motorcycle. Cold. 